invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. privilege to be able to to study this passage with you. This has been an, a really in, uh, a passage that's encouraged me, and I hope that that the Spirit will encourage you through this as well. How much confidence do you have today that that God loves you? Maybe you had a bad week spiritually. You blew up in anger someone in your family, you watched a program on TV that you should not have. Maybe you clicked on something that you should not have. Maybe you're facing some relational or financial crisis and, and you don't feel that God is very close right now. Maybe you're struggling with health challenges. You've experienced some kind of loss. Maybe you're going through the consequences of some of your past sins. And all those things are coming together to speak very loudly that God is far away, that God doesn't love you, that God is opposed to you, that God is punishing you. And yet, while we look at our present circumstances, we're reminded of the promise from Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how can we be sure of that promise when... The circumstances of life and our indwelling sin, the, the, the indwelling sin and the ongoing suffering that, that take place seem to speak against that promise. They seem to counteract that promise. And, and what Paul's been doing in chapter 8 here is he's been showing us that despite our indwelling sin, we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. And that's how the, the indwelling sin is, is overcome. That is, that, that despite our indwelling sin, we still can be assured of that promise of no condemnation because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. And the second part of that answer is, how can we be sure of no condemnation despite the ongoing suffering? That's what He's been doing uh, in the second part of chapter 8 by answering that question. And the question that we want to answer today, and, and that is, how can we be sure that God is on our side? when there is ongoing suffering. We started to answer that last time in, in seeing that the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness and that God accomplishes every single thing in your life for your good, for your spiritual good. That no matter what comes into your life, it's always meant by God for your spiritual good. So we can be sure of it that way, but here the answer continues. How can we know that God is on our side when there's ongoing suffering? And the answer is that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Let me read our text for us in verses 31 through 39 of chapter 8. This is the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This morning, we have the privilege of being reminded about this great truth, and that is that God is on our side. God is on our side, and therefore nothing can separate us from God's love. So, whether you have indwelling sin, and you do, and whether you are currently experiencing ongoing suffering, and you may be, God is on your side if you have trusted in Christ. And there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And what God wants you to know this morning, if you're a, a child of His, is that you are safe in Him. That you don't have to fear condemnation. You don't have to fear God's punishment. And there are two ways that we see this in this passage. First, no opposition can successively condemn you before God on the day of judgment. There is no opposition that can successfully condemn you on the, day, uh, on the day of judgment before God. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, no one can come up to you and accuse you and say, but hey, what about this person? They deserve God's ultimate wrath. But what we're going to see here in verses 31 to 34 is that no one can condemn you on the day of judgment. And then verses 35 to 39, between now and the day of judgment, no one can derail you from God's love. No one can separate you from that inseparable bond that you have between you and God, that God has initiated and God will hold you to himself. You are connected to God's love and no one will be able to separate you from what, from that love. God's love will not let you go. So let's see this first one. No opposition can successfully condemn you before God. So on the day of judgment, no one can come and accuse you and say, well, what about this person? And we see that in several ways. First, God's love is displayed in no greater way than at the cross. Verses 31 and 32. God's love is displayed in no greater way than at the cross. Notice this first question in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? What is Paul talking about when he's saying these things? What shall we say to these things? Well, what are you referring to here, Paul? He could be referring to the chain of salvation that we saw in verses 29 and 30. You know, that, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Could be talking about that. What are we going to say about these things? Or I tend to think that he's, he's, he's saying, what can we say about all of these things, about all this grace that we've seen in chapters 5 through 8? That is that we've been made into new creatures. We are not like we once were. That we now have the Spirit of God lift, uh, living inside of us. That he is, we are empowered by God's Spirit. 
and that we are gifted with all the riches and the pleasures and the blessings that come with being in Christ. And so after looking at all those things in chapters 5 through 8, what shall we say about these things? And here's his, here's his answer. It really comes in the form of a question in the second part of verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Or who is against us? So really, he summarizes all of chapters 5 through 8 with one simple phrase. God is for us. God is for us. All the blessings of God that come with salvation can be summed up in this one phrase. God is for us. And notice how that opening conditional clause makes all the difference in the verse. What, would it, what, would, what kind of answers would we have if we didn't have that first part, if God is for us? What if we just asked the question, who is against us? I mean, could you, could you make a list? Would we not have a list that could fill a phone book? But then when we put that first phrase in there, that first conditional clause, if God is for us, how long is that list now? And the answer is it's empty, isn't it? Because no one can be against us if God is for us. We have this long list of enemies that would be seemingly overwhelming, but because God is on our side, that list is blank. And friends, this is how you battle despair. You remember who you are in Christ. You take confidence in the fact that God is for you. Because is there any trial or challenge or setback that is too hard for you to face when you know that God is on your side? Is there? This clause here, if, really could be translated since. Since God is for us, who is against us? God is for you. All who have trusted in Christ, God is for you. And so who can be against you? Will any unbeliever or any demon or even Satan himself be successful in derailing you, in condemning you on the day of judgment if God is for you? If God is is your defense attorney, so to speak, when the prosecutor, Satan, comes against you, will he be able to successfully condemn you? If God is for you, no one can be against you. This is how we fight despair. Do you remember the solace that David found in Psalm 23 when he reflected on God being his shepherd? He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? What's the next phrase? Because you are with me. You see, even the Old Testament saints took confidence in the fact that God was with them. This is how we can have confidence in life, despite the ongoing suffering. Because God is with us. There's no confidence that we receive here that, that, that we will have no trials. right? God doesn't say, here's your confidence, you're not going to have trials. Or your trials are going to be minimal. There's no confidence there. There's no confidence that our our trials will magically go away when we pray about them. We have no confidence of that. But we do have something much greater, and that is that God will not abandon us in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. God will not let you go. You can be sure that because of your relationship with Christ, 
that God is for you. And how can you know that? How can you know that God is for you? How can you really know that God loves you when the trials abound? And the answer is found in verse 32. You look no further than the cross. You want to see the best expression of God's love for you? Stop looking at your circumstances and look back to the cross. Because God sacrificed His greatest possession for you. And if He did that, how can you question His love? Look at the verse. He, he does it in the form of a question. Paul does. He says, He who did not spare His own Son. There's the statement. God the Father did not spare His own Son, His greatest possession, but instead delivered Him over for us all. So that's the truth. This is a, an argument from greater to lesser. That is, if God did this much greater thing for you in not sparing His Son... In sacrificing his son. And did he? Yes, he did. We have, we have uh, the record of that here in the text of Scripture. And we know it in our hearts that God sent his son for us. If God did that greater act for us, then look at the second act that we can be sure that will happen. And how will he not also with him, that is, how will God the Father not also with Christ, if he's already given the greatest possession, how will he not also with Christ freely give us all things? That is the lesser things of life. The confidence that you need in trials. The hope that you need in trials. Will God not give that to you if He's already given you His greatest blessing? He has given you His greatest treasure, and that is Jesus. And so you can be confident that He will accomplish all things for your good, Romans 8, 28, right? God works out all things together for your good, for, for those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. And as I mentioned last time, that, those, that good there in verse 28, and I think these all things in verse 32, are not merely or not primarily earthly comforts. So if you think that you know, things aren't going like I want them to, so God must not be on my side, then you don't understand what good is spiritually. Because that's not what God promised you. God never promised you earthly comfort and freedom from all suffering. But he did promise that he would never abandon you. And the greatest display of God's love for you was at the cross. So when you doubt God's love, the best place for you to go is back to the cross. And be reminded of what God did when he poured out his love for you in mercy. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Remind yourself of that great truth. And in doing so, you will remind yourself that God is on your side. That God has performed this great act of love for you while you were His enemy. And so how can we doubt Him in times when suffering comes? How can we doubt Him when times of loss hit us hard? Because God's already done something that great. If God's already invested, let's think about this in terms of investment. If, if Christ would take as a possession, a treasure, and God's taken that treasure and He's invested it, in your eternal life. Then why would he abandon you later? And say, you know what? That's a bad investment. I'm taking that back. It, it would be like a couple who spent $40,000 on fertility treatments. You know, we, we need to have a child. We want to have a child. And so they spend all this money. And finally, the wife conceives and she gives birth. And they put the child up for adoption. Right? That doesn't make sense. They did all this work in order to get to this place and all this waiting. 
And they finally have the baby and they put it up for adoption. That's like what, that would be what God would be doing when he spends all that he does on our salvation, right? Christ's life for your salvation. And then just saying, you know what, I abandon you. I'm done with you. You see, God has invested so much in you, the life of his son. He will not abandon you later. He did not spare his own son, and so you can be sure that he will give you freely all things that are necessary for your life and godliness. So, number one, God's love is displayed in no greater way than at the cross. Number two, God's love is displayed in his rescuing us from his wrath. Verses 33-34. In his rescuing us from his wrath. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. So you see this courtroom type of setting? That that we are having charges laid against us, and that's why I say on the day of judgment, no one can successfully condemn you because God is on your side. Satan in Revelation 12 and other places is called the accuser. Right? This is part of his job. He accuses man before God and he accuses God before man. And what he will do on that final day is he'll stand as, our, as a prosecutor and say, this is all the things that this person did against you, God, and so they deserve your just and final wrath. On that last day, all those accusations from him and maybe some of our enemies and demons and even the, the record of our own debts, right? will all stand against us as testimony or exhibit A in the courtroom of God's justice. And what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit wants us to know this morning, is that none of those accusations will hold up in court. Do you know why? Not because God is arbitrary and that, you know, I I guess I'll just ignore that. But because those things have all been paid for, haven't they? Our God is just and we have been justified. When we are united with Christ, all of our sins are paid in full. They are covered by the blood of Christ. And so the question that Paul's asking is, who is going to win a case against us if God is our defense attorney? God is both the judge and the the defense attorney, effectively. In other words, God has already declared you righteous on the basis of your receiving him by faith. Have you received him in faith? Then you are declared righteous and no one can stand and hold a charge against you. Do you see what's going on here? Satan can come on that day and bring a great number of charges against you and say, God, Jacob is a rotten, terrible, double-crossing, no-good sinner. And he deserves your wrath. Do you know how God will respond? Satan, all of that is true. But look at my son. You see the wounds on his hands and his feet and his side? All of his sins, all of Jacob's sins are heinous in my sight, but they are paid in full by the blood of Jesus. And by virtue of the power invested in me, God will say, I declare Jacob to be righteous. Not on the basis of anything that he has done, but according to my mercy. And according to the justification that took place when he trusted in me by faith. When God declares someone to be righteous, who is left to stand and condemn us? That's the question that Paul asks. 
Who can bring a charge, verse 33, against God's chosen ones? Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? And the implied answer is no one. If God is for us, no one can condemn us. And there are four reasons why we know that, that we will not be condemned. And they are Christ's death, we see in the next line. Christ's death, his resurrection, he was raised. His exaltation, he's reigning at God's throne, and his intervention. So here's four more reasons we can know that we will not be condemned on the day of judgment. God's love is displayed in Christ's present reigning, that is, through his death. That he, is, he has died and that he is now reigning over us. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is praying for us. Look at the last part of verse 34. Who also intercedes for us. Last time in, in the, the last passage we looked at, we saw that we have one in our hearts who knows our groanings and our weaknesses and what exactly we need, and he intercedes on our behalf, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing that we have God, the Spirit, within us? And he intercedes on our behalf. But here we have another great truth that we should hold to very dearly. And that is that we have not only one in our hearts, but one in the very throne room of God. Who knows God's mind. He knows our weaknesses. And since he has made everything, he was made as everything like as we are. That is, he was made to be human. Yet without sin. He can intercede, he can intercede on our behalf because he knows our weaknesses. So we have one in our hearts, the Holy Spirit, who knows God and knows us and prays for us. And we have one in heaven who knows God and knows us and prays for us. So that's why we can be sure that, that God is on our side and that we will not be successfully accused. Because of the great love and just payment that was made for you on the cross, there is no charge that will stick against you. When it comes to that day, that final day of judgment, your sins will have already been paid in full. God is with you. Who can be against you? Christ paid your penalty. Who can lay a charge against your account? But friends, here's the great news. There is not only confidence on that final day that no one will be able to condemn you, but here you have confidence today, between today and that day, that no one will derail you. And here's the second thing that we want to look at in verses 35 to 39. That no one can successfully derail you prior to the day of judgment. So between now and the judgment, no one can separate you from God's love. See that in verse 35. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Who will separate us? Here is the, the um, rhetorical question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists a number of things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Will any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? In verses 31 through 34, the focus is on the objective reality of God's love for us on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. God did not spare his own son. And so Christ, in a way, spanned the gap between us and God. And, and that, on that final day, that justification that we are declared righteous, that's going to stand up in court. But verses 35 through 39 move from the objective reality of Christ's sacrifice to the subjective reality of God's love for us. Not subjective in that it comes or goes, but, but many ways that's the way it feels. 
And what we need to know is that love holds us today and every day until that final day of judgment. If God is for us, and if God has justified us on the basis of Christ, if we are part of God's family, here's the question in verses 35 to 39, who can separate us from the love of Christ? This is not referring to the love that we have for Christ. There's other places where it talks about how we need to love Christ. But this is talking about the love that Christ has for us. And the implied answer is no one. Who can separate us from the love that Christ has for us? No one can. Do you know why? Because God holds us. We are, we are His. He is on our side. And so that we can be sure that even the worst forms of trial cannot tear us apart from the love that Christ has for us. Do you see that at the second part of verse 35? Will tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Will distress separate us from the love of Christ? He, he goes through this list saying, you know, tribulation will come and go. But do you know what's going to remain? Christ's love for you will remain. Distress being dispirited, that, those kinds of feelings will come and go. But do you know what's going to remain? And that is Christ's love for you. Persecution will come and go, but Christ's love will remain. Famine, nakedness, peril, war, they'll all come and go, but Christ's love will remain for you. So that at the lowest times of your life, you can be sure that Christ still loves you. And the reason you can know that is back up to verse 32. God did not spare His own Son. He already performed His greatest act of love on you. There's nothing greater He can do. All these other things are bonuses. That is, that He's not going to abandon you now. At the lowest times of your life, you can be sure that Christ loves you. Now, this is not something new or unique to New Testament believers. That is God's love. Old Testament believers experience the same kind of confidence. Look at verse 36. Here we see that suffering is not unique to New Testament believers. Just as it is written from Psalm 44, 22, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that the tribulation and troubles, ongoing suffering, are not new to New Testament believers. They're not unusual for any believer Troubles should not surprise us in this life. And they should not compel us to question the love of God for us. Because the people of God have always been opposed by the enemies of God. And you know, being in Christ will not change that pattern. That God's love will stay on you. That it will remain in fact, it, it highlights how strong that love is for you. See, the Old Testament believers could be confident, like I, I mentioned before from Psalm 23, I fear no evil because you are with me. He could have that confidence even though he hadn't known Christ in the way that we know him. He looked forward to that promised Redeemer. We now have seen him. That is not visually, but we, we know him from seeing him in the Scriptures. So how much more confident should we be than the Old Testament believers who experienced trouble and yet still were confident in God's love for them? Suffering is not unique to New Testament believers. Next, Christ's victory is our victory, verse 37. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. 
Your position in Christ guarantees your victory over the enemies that oppose you. And so Paul says that we are overwhelmingly conquerors. That, that we are more than conquerors. Not on the basis of what we do. You know, I'm, I'm such a conqueror. I can get through anything, any challenge that life brings me. Not because of something that we do, but, but because of what Christ has done. Do you know why I can get through this trial? Do you know why I can face this suffering head on? Do you know why I can face this loss? Because of what Christ has done for me. I am more than a conqueror. He loves us, and therefore we are guaranteed to conquer. And we can summarize all this with this last one here in verses 38 and 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can summarize this, all of what we've looked at here, by saying nothing can separate us from the love of God. And again, I, this is not talking about our love for God, although we have commands for that and expectations for that in other places. Here, this is talking about God's love for us. Paul is convinced of this. See how he starts verse 38? I am convinced that all these things will not be able to keep me from the love of God. How can we be like Paul and be convinced of this? Because if you're like me, you have times where it feels like God is far away. It feels like God's not on my side. It feels like God's punishing me. But how can we be fit, convinced of what Paul is convinced of? And the way that we are convinced of this is, is to be reminded again, back to verse 32. God did not spare His own Son. God's love for us became permanent when we had Christ's death appropriated to our account through faith. So when we accepted Christ, Christ, we were forever connected to God's love. And nothing can undo that status that we have in Christ. Nothing can undo your status of being loved by God. Those whom He loves, He loves to the end. Notice the scope of our confidence that we can have. Just in case there are anything in there that think, well, what about this? Paul wants to just include them all. He doesn't want to miss anything. And so he starts with those things that could include anything in this life or the next. So let's talk about in terms of time. Is there anything in this life or in the next life that can just tear that bond that we have between us and God's love for us? Notice what he says there in verse 38. I am convinced that neither death nor life Nothing in this life or the next. That is, everything between life and death, everything in between and the next life, nothing can separate us from the love of, of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the next one, the next couplet here. Everything in the spirit world, angels and principalities. So, okay, well, there's maybe there's nothing in this life or the next. What about in the angelic room, realm, the, the demonic realm? Is there anything there that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And the answer is no. Even, even everything in the spirit world cannot separate us from the love of God. Everything present and future, the next couplet, things present or things to come. Things now and the things in the future. You might say, well, I, you know, I, I'm confident that God loves me now, but, but what happens if something comes down the road? What happens if there's something that I can't bear? God's saying, listen, none of those things will be able to derail my love from you, to separate me from the love that I have for you. And then the next one is not a couplet, but it's a single one. He says, nor power, 
And that is that every created thing that has strength that may want to tear us apart from God's love, it cannot do it. Do you know how it's explained in Roman, or John chapter 9? John chapter 10? Jesus says, And my sheep know me, and they follow me, and my Father gives them to me. And, and, and they are in my Father's hand, and no one can pluck them from my Father's hand. Because my Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can pluck them from my Father's hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And then the next couplet is, is height nor depth. That is everything in the heavens above and the earth below. So is there any other place that could come and, and just tear apart this love that God has for you? And what Paul wants us to know is, and the Holy Spirit wants us to know is know that, that your relationship in Christ guarantees that God loves you. And just in case you might be thinking of you know, something else that's not covered in this list, then look at the last one. Nor any created thing. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus. Because of your relationship in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. You are united with Christ. And as much as God loves his son, he loves you. You are treated like his son. His son was treated like you should have been treated, right? Like I should have been treated. And that he bore the sins that we should have paid for when he died on the cross. And now we kind of take on his code of righteousness. And we now are treated like Christ is treated before God as sons and heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And we will reign with him. So here's the question that, that Paul wanted to ask. Who is against you if God is for you? And the answer is no one. Who can charge you if God has chosen you? And the answer is no one. Nothing in this life or the next, nothing in the spirit world, nothing in the present or the future, nothing in the heavens above or the earth below, nothing in all the created wor world, in all the created universe, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Let me finish by asking one big question. Because I'm assuming that you know that you have a right relationship with God. But perhaps you're on the fence. You're like, well, I'm not quite sure. And so how do you know if God is for you? How can you know that God's love will secure you? And the answer is at the end of verse 28. Go back there with me. Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to... And here's how you can know. If you love God and you are called according to his purpose... You need to love God. How, how can you love God? Do you realize that, that unbelievers don't love God? They love God in no way at all. Because any acts of goodness that they do, okay, we're not denying that they can do good things. You, I know lots of good unbelievers. But I don't know any godly ones. I don't know any that love God. And that's because only a believer can be empowered with the Holy Spirit of God and actually do things that are good and for good. That is, for God's glory. Only believers can do that. And so the question is, do you love God? This is how you can know if God loves you. Do you love God? And are you called according to His purpose? 
Have you responded to the call in repentance and faith? Has God given to you the gospel call that that you need to repent and believe in the gospel? And if He has, have you responded by saying, Yes, I will not turn away from you any longer, God. I will not reject you. I will accept your message of the gospel that the only way that I can come to you, God, is through Jesus Christ. I have to believe that Jesus was enough. That Jesus is enough. That his death and his resurrection are are what I need in order to have a right relationship with, with you, God. And if you can say that this morning, you are in the love of God. You love God and God loves you. The only way that that can happen is if God had first set his love on you. And that love was sealed and expressed in the greatest way at the cross when Jesus gave himself so that you would have life. And on the basis of your faith, on the basis of God's mercy, you are in Christ. You are loved by God. And therefore, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing and no one can stand before God and successfully condemn you or bring a charge against you that will stick because it's God who justifies. And those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. John Stott says it this way, Our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering. Our confidence is in God's love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. Christian, the basis of our confidence that God loves us is not on our shifting love for Him. You know, God loves me only as long as I love Him. That's not what He's saying. If you have that settled sense of God's love, that, uh, that settled sense that you love God, that is that you accept the gospel, then you can know that even in the times when you doubt, when you fear, when, when, you, when you fall away for a time, when you backslide, God still loves you on the basis of Christ's finished work. Our confidence is God's love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. God loves us. And the clearest expression of that, whenever we doubt that, we simply need to go back to verse 32. God did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. And so how will he not with him also freely give us all things? God is on your side, and therefore nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Father, we are grateful that you chose to pour out your mercy upon us in showing us our need for the gospel and then bringing us to saving faith, giving us the heart of repentance and faith. Lord, we are grateful for the reminder this morning that in the midst of indwelling sin and ongoing suffering that we experience, that we can know without a doubt that you are on our side, that you are for us. And Lord, we pray that you would give confidence to believers this morning 
would you cause your spirit to compel their spirit that they are children of God? And Lord, would you convict others who don't know Jesus Christ, who are turning from you, rejecting you, not accepting the, the finished work of Jesus Christ? Would you, would you convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? Cause them to turn in saving faith and to know the great joy that we believers know. And Lord, we pray that, that, that this love would not let us go, that it would hold us tightly all the way until the day of judgment. We're thankful that we can have confidence that no one can lay a solid ac accusation against us that will stick. All the accusations will be, will be uh, done away with. They will be invalid because our sins have been paid in full by Jesus' blood. So, Lord, help us to be continually reminded of the work that Jesus did for us, the cross and the resurrection, so that we live our lives with great hope and confidence and not despair and distress. Lord, you are on our side, and if you are for us, then who can be against us? Lord, why would you make us to hear your voice and enter while there's room? And thousands made the wretched choice and, and would rather starve and come. You've been so merciful to us in granting us a calling and a justification and a future glorification. May you continue the work that you started in us. And may you help us to live with great joy this holiday season and the, and the, year, the, the year ahead and the years to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.